Welcome, everybody, to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I'm Benjamin Moses, Techni- uh, Director of Manufacturing Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, AMT's uh, Manufacturing Technology Analyst. almost forgot what I did there. <laughs> Hi, Steve. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Awesome. Ben, I heard you went to uh, Disneyland, Disney I World. Did. Which one? Uh, I went to um, Hollywood Studios okay. and Animal Planet. So oh, wow. not quite Magic Kingdom, and... Uh, so went down to Orlando. Flying mm-hmm. still sucks. Nothing new has changed yeah. there. Uh, but interesting thing, I was uh, keeping track of some uh, research and some general stuff um, uh, from videos online, and I ran across, ran across some interesting research from Disney. And uh, between my uh, trip last week and mm-hmm. you know some online research, I found an interesting thing of what Disney's publishing in terms of research they're doing. Okay. So they have a huge suite of products, right? They got some uh, stuff from digital animation to real life. Uh, animatronics, so a huge spectrum of products. Yeah. And your concept of Disney, you wouldn't think of hardcore research, but they're doing some really, really hardcore research. And I found a, uh, a couple of interesting things. So one, they have a paint copter. They attached okay. um, uh, paint uh, through uh, nozzles and tubing to a, a drone. Mm-hmm. And what they're uh, projecting to do is being able to print in uh, odd locations. So they're projecting a... Being able to paint. Uh, yeah, yeah. So okay. spray painting. Wow. So spray painting drone going around, you tell it what image you want, you tell it what face you want, it goes through, maps the face, and then it uh, downloads the image, and it tells you what's a Z offset because it's not a flat yeah. face either. It's like on a rock face. Sure. So it's kind of interesting. So if you think of their application their application under the theme park, they're trying mm-hmm. to print a you know, Yogi Bear, I don't know if that's Disney property, Yogi Bear on a stone car- you know, 30 foot high. So instead of having a human do it, right, you probably have a... a paint copter do it. This is the future of graffiti tagging. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the really interesting thing that I found that's applicable to manufacturing was there. It's called the hydrostatic transmission of human safe haptic response robot. I had to read that because there's no way I'm going to remember that. Absolutely. Uh, but the concept that they're testing out was a human on one side that has a controls that receives haptic responses. Sure. So it's really interesting VR setup and controls. That's pretty cool. But the interesting thing that I found was the robot that they had executing the commands from the operator was a hybrid air-water configuration. So what they're calling an N plus one tendon cable transmission. So how it moves Mm -hmm. is through air and uh, um, water uh, pneumatics. Uh, And it was very, very fast. So the applications that are the use cases that they're showing in the video were uh, simplified. Okay. But you could see how fast the robot was able to respond and how delicate it was. So yeah. it was basically real time to how the human was moving. So very mm-hmm. fast, very fluid. Uh, the three things that they brought up was it wanted to pick up an egg. Okay. It was interesting because it didn't have hands. So it had basically drum uh, drumsticks, the soft ones with the little malice at the end. Okay, yeah. Uh, very, very difficult to pick up. So if you can imagine using maybe... Uh, your two index fingers trying to pick up an egg. Like like with chopsticks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's going to rock okay. back and forth. So between the haptic response and the um, the, the motion control of the um, hybrid air water system, mm-hmm. it was able to pick up a robot, or pick up an egg, and then put it down another location. Of course, the guy's being silly, so he just smashes the egg at the end, so that was pretty funny. But yeah. the second uh, case was they had a microscope uh, underneath the arms, and they had a needle and a thread attached to those uh, drumsticks. Oh, wow. And he was able to thread the needle through the microscope. I was like, I can barely do that with my own that, hands. Yeah, that's he's, absurd. He's doing it through the motion controller, 
through the VR headset that's looking through the um, the microscope okay. and through the uh, the haptic response. I was like, wow, that's so, fascinating. So the human machine interface, the, the is is the person controlling to with VR and handsets. Yep. I, I assume are they contro- the human controlling two robot arms holding these drumsticks? Yeah. So okay. the, the device that he's controlling. Uh, yeah. looks just like the robot that he's controlling in the field. So it has the actual gotcha. arms. It's got little sticks that he's moving with his hands. Okay. That response that he's getting through the haptic motion has motors built into the uh, controller that it's using. Okay, okay. So controller is kind of a simplified term, um, but yeah. it, the, the HMI that he's using. Electronic and, power steering. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, and the last case uh, that they showed was um, them interacting with a, a young child. So it, she, uh, the robot was gently touching her face, uh, not aggressively plowing into her face. So I was a little worried when I saw the child interacting with the robot, but they wanted to convey the haptic response back to the, uh, the operator. So there was the, the two main interesting things were from that uh, extensive research that they've done on this was the uh, fluid motion of the robot itself and the ability to do super, super fine um, controls of the robot itself and the, allowing the operator to feel that motion control. So super interesting research and super technical. I was one, you know, the title's pretty yeah. captivating. Uh, well, once you actually watch the video, it's interesting to see the amount of uh, fine uh, fidelity of that uh, control. Oh, sweet! And you have a YouTube link there, so yeah, okay, yep, definitely check out the YouTube I'd, I'd link. I'd love to. So with that, we can jump into the test bed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and we're actually, there. that's a perfect transition because uh, I'd like to start by saying, uh, so, you know, my conference call with U-Factory, the uh, supplier of the robot, the XARM 7, yep. seven joint um, collaborative robot that we ordered back in November should be shipping this month. Awesome. So I'm really pumped. That Do you have a shipping tracking number? I don't yet. Okay, so should be shipping. I, we'll it, it should be. Like they said it would ship um, uh, July okay. of this year. Yeah. and. Yeah. You know, I'm getting I, like it, this happens just about seemingly every year. I get excited, yep. and you yep. know, they give me tell me one thing, and then there's a delay. Yeah. It's, it's but back to our the what we purchased in December ish yeah. last year. They're still reasonably on target to what they talked about, right? Yeah, they said by summer uh, 2019. We're still in summer. It's still summer. Summer is three months Te- long. Technically, so. <laughs> I'd, I'd even consider. Yeah, there's August, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So uh, if if I get if I hear from them yeah. by the end of the month, I'll be I'll say they're on target. So the bet would be: Does Amelia start kindergarten first, or <laughs> do we get the robot arm? Excellent question. Okay. Um, we'll see. We, we'll see. You know. Yeah. Cool. But I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. You know, we need a robot. I've wanted a robot for like the past two years. I'm all now. about automation. All right. Well, don't you know? So you know, hold your horses. <laughs> we still have we, a lot. We still more. have to set it up and then get competent with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you yeah. know how long it took to get competent with the Pocket NC. Yeah, and yeah. it's a long. Look. It's arguable to say whether or not we're competent with it now. <laughs> but let's move on. Yeah, speaking um, of which, you got some other things to talk I about. I got for, yeah. so with the Pocket NC, um, we got some new cutting tools. Yep. Um, working with Elena Bachman, uh, the recent high school graduate of Marshall C. No, excuse me, George C. Marshall High School in, yep. uh, in Tyson's. Um, uh, she uh, she wants to make some parts. I'll get into that later. But anyway, in trying to meet some of her demands um, or, or what she needs to uh, do, I ordered some new tools because I've had some with uh, the distributor I used. I've had uh, a few tools in uh, the cart, their web cart. Yep. Um, 
and it gave me a great excuse to uh, place an order for some more. Yeah. So I got three. I got four new tools, okay. four new cutting tools. All of them are three flute tools, okay. as they've performed the best along with uh, you know single flute uh, tools. But uh, three flute. With respect to the stock materials I use, which is uh, plastics and some soft metals like brass, um, the capabilities of the machine, so a 10K RPM max spindle speed, and the work envelope, we're talking a desktop-sized CNC machine, um, three flute tools have proven the best uh, uh, t cutting tools for my applications. Okay, what diameter uh, tools did you um, I got one-eighth and one-quarter inch okay. tools. Awesome. Um, I've got a few other ones. I mean, I do have a 16th inch end mill that sure. I've barely used. Um, but a quarter inch is roughly the max capacity? The max, the, the largest tool that... I, and I actually experiment. That was one of the first yep. experiments with the spindle was what is the largest tool I can fit in this thing before I go inserts. Um, and the largest tool that can be fit in the ER11 collet. Um, so that is the collet right. that the, the tool holders use for this machine. Um, the largest tool that I have been able to readily, readily find for the machine is a 5 sixteenths okay. inch tool. Okay. Let me make sure that's right. Yeah, five sixteenths yeah. inch. Um, I'm trying to make sure. Yeah, it is five sixteenth, not five thirty second. That's not big no. at all. Um, so that's the largest. So okay. quarter inch is the Good biggest size. tool yeah. that is reasonably yeah. easy to find. Right. Like, and you're considering not going to find a lot of five sixteenths. Right, and considering the envelope of the uh, mm -hmm. travel of the machine, that's exactly. a fair amount of uh, yeah. space. Yeah, that's you get a huge amount of. Uh, real quick material removal right. while still having a high degree of accuracy and a really soft finish okay. or smooth finish. So what was Elena up to? Elena, so Elena, her goal is still to produce a icosahedron, a 20-sided die. What now? Icosahedron. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm glad we got that squared away. <laughs> we did. Because, like, I mean, for the longest time I was saying isocahedron, sure. which sounds legit. Sure. Sounds great. I'm not going to try pronouncing it. Icosahedron. Okay. Um, but anyway, she's she's still on target for um, making one of those. Okay. She want that's her end game goal yep. is to mill one of those. But mainly, she's she's mostly been spending the past month getting comfortable with the machine and of course uh, the cam software. Right. Um, so I mean, she she's she's made excellent progress and really rapid progress through the teething phase of getting to know this machine um, and. When it comes to running code, everybody that's run code on this machine, and that's not a lot, that's a, that's three of us, including sure. Elena, <laughs> myself, Sharab, and Elena, every single one of us, all three of us have gone through um, the problem of figuring out what the hell is going on with the Z-axis offset. Okay. You know, there... Every one of the po every pocket NC machine comes with from the factory information about that particular machine because right. all the machines that come out of that factory vary in small sure. degrees sure. and they know exactly what those variations are and they know the exact dimensions of your machine and they make sure they ship it to you okay. with all of the specs so you can calculate your offsets properly. We've got that under control and we're all pretty competent when it comes to measuring tool offsets. Yet when you run code. Uh, that you just uploaded onto the machine, you know, you program that into the camp, that your tool offsets into the camp. You program the tool offsets into machine kit. Yep. Um, you, everybody has experienced problems with why is it the tool still so far away from the stock? Okay. Or why is it diving so deep into oh, the sure. stock? What's going on here? 
Um, it's a neglect of one simple step, okay. one step sure. in the machine setup process. And that is in machine kit, you need to, before you, after you upload your code, and you open your code in machine kit. It mm -hmm. loads every single line of the code before you press play and then unpause it because that's actually a strange uh, <laughs> step that you don't think you have to do. But sure. you press play because it has like, it, it's a VCR setup right. almost. <laughs> you press play on it and then immediately gets paused. Okay. But uh, then you unpause it and then it starts rolling. Before you can even do that though, you actually need to load the tool table ah. and then reload the tool table. Okay. It's just something really finicky. Sure. It's making sure that uh, you, you just have the right tool offsets loaded onto the machine. Otherwise okay. it just goes with defaults. Right. And those defaults are why every single one of us, Sharab, myself, yep. Elena, have all thought, what's going on here? Why is it cutting so far away from right. the stock? What's going on? Now you found out. Awesome. Well, well we've known that. It's just like <laughs> I was the first to learn it. You relearned it. And then it. I forgot to tell Sharab, and he never figured it sure. out, and he just modified the yeah. code uh, to run on the default yeah. settings of the machine. And Elena, for the longest yeah. time, was really bothered by it, and then she yeah. realized, oh, I didn't follow all the instructions on the tutorials. Well, it's like I did. I remember doing that, and sure. I forgot to tell you. So and that's my bad too. Well, we also talked about uh, scaling up from one person to many people. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you some basic tools like a checklist or even stickies yeah. on the machine? I think those are simple but very very effective. Absolutely, uh, simple solutions. documentation. It gets away from having one person knowing all the information to many people learning it as they're doing. So that's a simple fix. Unfortunately. Took took us a while to one scale up. It's such a simple but fix. Whatever. And, and such is life in the factory. Yeah, third time's a charm. I don't <laughs> think I'll forget it again next time. I when I get somebody new on the, uh, and that's in something else. In summer twenty twenty. Yep. Um, I should have a uh, a temp for the test bed. Awesome. Um, so I'm looking at like high school students or yeah. college students for that. Yep. And More standard documentation we've got to put together. Yeah, and I'll Good. remember to tell them to load and reload your tool table and machine <laughs> kit. So awesome. we'll never run into that again. Yep. But oh, one last thing that um, she, her, she's made a huge improvement. She was doing this great uh, um, uh, surface uh, facing uh, program for uh, some stock. And she was just getting comfortable with the cam and machine capabilities. And uh, what she wanted to do is she wanted to incorporate adaptive clearing into a facing operation. And that seems great. You know, let's do some adaptive clearing, you know. Um, um, and what happened was uh, once she finished that, that program and produced the original file for this facing operation, it was 120,000 lines of code. That seems excessive. Which in pocket NC speak with the size of that machine and its capabilities is two hours okay. worth of runtime. Yep. And that's running the code the whole time. That's right. not even prep and yep. setup. That's yep. that's two hours of just the machine worrying away at some material yep. and for a facing operation, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, she she's improved that and cut it down to what, 90 thousand okay. lines That's of code, which is chunk. still a lot, <laughs> but t cutting a half hour off of an operation is yeah. that's big, you good, know, and good. it's only going to get better. Incremental improvements, that's exactly, awesome. Exactly, you know. Cool. Yeah, so uh, uh, after that, you know, I've been uh, doing some research online. I found a really interesting research paper. Um, it's, uh, let me read the uh, title, Machine Learning Approach Based on Fractal Analysis for Optimal to Life for Exploitation. Uh, so it's, the, the title itself is, Obviously, large and whoa! You uh, left out carbon fiber reinforced polymer. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. So, the paper talks about 
trying to predict life of a tool. And in this particular application, it's valuable because what they're doing is they're drilling. It's an aerospace application. Yeah. They're using some expensive drills to cut into carbon, uh, as you mentioned, carbon fiber reinforced polymer. So the material is mm-hmm. expensive by the time it's get to, it got to the uh, ma- uh, manufacturing process, and the bits are expensive. Okay. So what they, so they, they want to do is extend the tool life, because what happens in cutting this material, as the tool degrades, you actually get a rougher and rougher finish, so you yeah. get poor conditions of the part itself as the tool wearing. So they want to um, map that out more accurately so they can uh, get to what's, con- what's called condition-based um, tool life. Uh, so, in the end, what they're doing is they're changing from basic statistical information mm-hmm. that they have. So, you can obviously do this on the manufacturing floor, just w- watch how you're producing the part, uh, record how many parts you ran through for this tool, and then just do that over and over again. Uh, they're using more advanced mathematical techniques to extend the life. Uh, first, so what they did is they measured the force of the tool okay. and the uh, the force is cutting into the part. Using, right, right, right. And the, uh, so f- linear force and torque. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also they measured flank wear on the bit itself. Sure. So basically so they're doing like backlash and uh, uh, RPMs. It's similar. Speed. So actual force cutting into the part. So it's drills so cutting straight down. Mm-hmm. And the force required to turn the bit. Okay. So as that's varying between, you know, 10 to 20 parts, they're tracking that. And they're correlating flank wear back to the that forces. Uh, and they use a couple of things, uh, advanced techniques. Oh, it's for drilling. Yeah, okay. so, it's, so it's linear, uh, going straight straight down. So it's not, uh, they're using advanced mathematical techniques like fractal analysis and an mm-hmm. artificial neural network, on, uh, an extension of uh, basic statistics to get to their final solution. In the end, what they're able to do is get a model that's 80% accurate, but able to run significantly more parts. So they're able to extend the life saving dollars for the uh, cutter, uh, the drill bit itself, and the quality of the part um, as they're extending that life. But the big takeaway is, right, uh, this project was one research project for one university student, and the sponsoring company was able to get significant improvements for this specific project, which is, in this case, probably very, very expensive to them. So say uh, cost of uh, the material, the engineer's time, uh, to get through this one research project, the company itself reaped the benefits of this. So the big takeaway from this is, see if your university can solve the problems for you. I see time and time again that, you know, w- within the capabilities of a manufacturing facility, they're pretty high for problem solving. Uh, but when you go to the university level, when you when the student says, let's run a fractal analysis, you're probably not going to get that within the staff that you have in your manufacturing facility. Right. So obviously, there's implications of ex- uh, maintaining this tool. Uh, but that can be a, obviously a research project later. So if you're running into the limitations of your capability in-house, getting to a university to do a project for you is pretty straightforward, and the cost is not really that high. It's worth exploring. So right. the big takeaway from this research project is ask your u- local university to see if they yeah. can solve the problem. Don't have you. to pay them. They just put something on the resume. It's Everyone's winning from doing these Absolutely. type of projects. So. Um, I have to ask though, in, yeah. in your experience uh, at Eaton, mm-hmm. did you did you do any um, or did you oversee any like cutting into like carbon fiber or no no or we stayed with uh, super alloys uh, we didn't okay. do any like low temperature inconels titaniums the, titaniums um, uh, even corrosion resistance three hundred series stainless okay uh, we did oh, not wow. do any uh, composites as production facility uh, we did do some I mean if you put glues and 
O-rings and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of composites, we actually stayed away from that. The only composites that we did was insulation, yeah. where we did an air gap. So they did a carbon-carbon um, insulation gap. So you'd have a, a tube, um, you'd have standoffs at the end, mm-hmm. and you'd put a, uh, a sleeve on top of that. That would be a carbon sleeve. Okay. And the air would actually be your insulator. Uh, okay. But we outsourced that. That was sent out someplace in California. Right. They did that, and we received that in-house. Uh, we had other facilities that probably got into a little bit more of that, um, but that's really cutting edge stuff that we didn't approach. Yeah, because I was trying to wrap while, – while you were talking about that, I was trying to wrap my head around what um, kind of specs go into producing a uh, – or, or go into the tool for cutting um, CFRP. And yep. and because I mean I, I cut plastics sure and now not carbon fiber reinforced right. plastics you know because that's much harder and stronger yep. stuff so I'm thinking what what does that look like and then I just realized um, there's actually a, a, a two uh, machine tool catalogs on or a cutting tool uh, catalogs on my desk and um, actually for the first time I saw what a laminate um, material uh, end mill looks like sure. and with the majority let's let's say the the flute length is an inch long right um, from the shank to the end of the tool the first um, uh, three quarters of an inch is the 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 flutes are going in one direction okay. and for the last quarter to the tip of the tool mm-hmm. it's going in the opposite oh, direction and that's to um, Compensate for the different layers of oh, material, sure. and like like if it's stacked right. with sheets, the direction of, of the fibers, fiber. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's cool. I was that's just cool. trying to think about like what kind yeah. of tool does that. That, that is an interesting thing because I have done a little bit of research kind on of that. Is the the biggest difficulty is it's not a homogenous part. You have to figure out how to cut through the resin and the different fibers themselves, right. and you have different directions of the fiber, and that's probably the most difficult part. As you're drilling through, you've got the the fibers running in different directions, and it has to be sharp enough to cut those fibers. So you're yeah. almost cutting cloth at that point, right? So it's it's an interesting dynamic where you think of grinding, you think of all these different mm-hmm. other alternatives. That how expensive is the yeah. machine making that tool? Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, what other topics do you have? Uh, oh, okay. So, I found a great article that was co- on Tech Trends, of course, called Five Ways Machine Tools Are Impacted by Industry 4.0. Okay. And, you know, going to all the industry events that we've been to and are coming up, you yep. know, we hear about how great Industry 4.0, or in the U.S., as we like to call it, uh, or certainly as Doug likes to call it, uh, smart manufacturing right. is. We hear all these benefits, but. Um, I, I liked this article basically because it, it brought it consolidated and summarized industry 4.0 yep. into five things good. that you need to look like out for list. and how they implement or how they impact specifically machine tools. And the first one was preventative maintenance. Okay, industry 4.0 or smart manufacturing involves persistent operation. Yep. The machine should be constantly running, and this means that you need real-time data. The, you know, an operator is also a technician of one machine tool is now probably going to be with, with with the data stream coming from a machine or machines. They're probably going to be looking at one operator is probably going to be looking at over multiple machines running at the same time. Sure, and this real-time data means machine performance can be streamed to the technician and thus a maintenance crew can prep in advance for malfunctions that 
to, to reduce the downtime. So you've got Good. you're looking at different downtime. The second point is um, energy and operational savings. And machine tools are huge power hogs, even in standby. Because yeah. you know even even before it's running an operation, before it's making passes on material. That spindle, a lot of you know, big manufacturers will tell you the spindle needs to be prepped 30 minutes in advance. Right. It needs to be running at speed to warm up. So all of the dimensions of the cutting tool materials and and um, the bearings inside the right. um, the spindle even can expand to the right dimensions, and then backlash can be you know maintained consistently. Yep. Uh, there's no fluctuations as time goes by. So the first part can be as close to po as possible while cons uh, compensating yep. for tool wear to the last part. You know the way to get around warm-up? How? Just run 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. Seven days a week, 24 hours. And, 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 and that, of course, hours. costs a lot in yeah. terms of energy. Yeah. And yeah. so... This article summarized it pretty plainly. And how do you get around energy costs of you know these machine tools that use up so much energy? Cut costs everywhere else. You know, <laughs> yeah. turn the lights off. Yeah, and yeah. It, it really uh, that that little section of the article, the second bullet point, um, really uh, uh, makes lights out the term yeah. lights out manufacturing way more yeah. literal than it, it you originally think it is and that is an interesting perspective on the us's uh, perspective on how to save energy versus uh, europeans perspective mm -hmm. there's a heavy push on the european side of things to put more energy efficient efficiency into the machines while oh, well. the us don't really look for those options on the machine they look at other factory things like air compressors running that more efficiently lights right. Which, once you're running LEDs, are you really saving much by turning things off? Yeah, probably not. But there's air compressors, which is a big power sure. consumption. And there's other things within the factory that you probably can save. To your point, saving energy in a machine tool, other than shutting it down for the night, you're probably not going to get around that. That, that, is, that is like the most American thing, too. <laughs> it's like, let the Europeans stick to let their 1.4 liter turbo <laughs> diesel engines. We're going to stick to gas-guzzling V8s. Yeah. You know? Speaking of which, I drove a big V8. Down in Florida, felt great. Nice. <laughs> what was it? Uh, Big Tahoe. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Japanese V8. <laughs> well, whatever. It's an American market car. Um, third bullet point is enhanced or automatic virtual metrology. And, um, you know, ha having, talking back earlier about uh, doing tool offset measurements manually with a one, two, three block and right. some calipers right. and, and slowly inching the spindle closer and closer to the table. And then go, going from that to using a automated uh, tool offset probe, it's life changing. Oh right. So, and and that's just measuring tool offsets. Sure. If you were able to automate the parts coming out of a machine instead of doing it manually, right? Imagine how much bigger that is. Yeah. So that was essentially that that bullet point wrapped up in a nutshell. Good. Fourth is better human machine interfaces. Yep. And in industry, we're often talking about the next generation of machinists. Sure. And you know, the next generation, my generation, you know, we're glued to our smartphones. <laughs> how can we? How, how can you appeal to the next generation? Put touch screens on the machine right. tools. Right. You know, keyboards are gross. Yeah. Um, the fifth uh, bullet point is new machining centers. Okay. You know, it's. We talked about a lot of new tech. This article talks about a lot of new tech, especially heavy into sensors and pulling data from those sensors. Right. And 20-year-old machines won't have nearly as many sensors. They'll be great machines. I'm not talking about it, talking bad about them. But if you want to implement sensors and um, you know 
more more up to date uh, programs on your older machines that might be more costly than just buying a new quality machine right. with all the new latest bells and whistles on yeah. it. So, And a slight parallel, one thing I learned when I moved uh, about a year ago, I had to buy a new washer and dryer. Mm-hmm. So the previous one we had were entry-level GE something, sure. probably the cheapest one you could get, uh, great for our little townhouse. Right. When we moved here, I found a deal on Costco, some uh, agitatorless big washer, semi-expensive, like $1,000 range for the pair. $1,200 for the range for the pair. Uh, but the biggest thing that we found was, one, the clothes come out significantly drier coming yeah. out of the washing machine. The spin cycle is so fast. And my wife knows that the cl- clothes feel cleaner. I couldn't mm-hmm. quantify that, but she's like, clothes feel clean. Okay, that's great. Yeah. But it's the interesting iterations of technology from, granted, it was entry level back then, uh, yeah. an expensive machine to something a little uh, more upscale. But the Iterations of technology that have changed to allow, the, you know, the faster spin cycle. It's still uh, um, the top-loading uh, washer, faster mm-hmm. spin cycle, uh, better water optimization. So it don't. There's no uh, large, medium, uh, extra large cycle. Right. It auto senses how many clothes are in there. It auto balances itself. Yeah. So the incremental changes in the technology itself of just that, I could definitely see that level of parallel on the machine tool side where the the capabilities have increased, say, every mm-hmm. you know past 10 years or so on the new modern machine tools. Yeah, that's actually an excellent comparison. Oh, and I can get lost in the weeds talking about washers and dryers, <laughs> but, but let's, let's move on. Maybe it's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Steve. Those are really uh, cool articles. Thanks for sharing that. I'm super excited for the um, updates to the test bed. Hopefully in a month, we'll see. Oh, yeah. We'll see yep. if the X-Arm comes in. Man, hopefully, yeah, by the next uh, episode, let's, let's hopefully we're sweating programming and setting up a robot. <laughs> a new set of problems. <laughs> a new set of problems. Yeah. Exactly. Well, cool, Steve. Uh, right, thanks, have, Ben. Have a happy week. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye, everybody.